together. And the whole crux of it, really, and the initial preface to the book basically states a summation of what the book is all about in that it says that the book is not designed to make a star out of someone who, number one, has no desire to be a star, and number two, not the capabilities, because it can't do miracles. But what it will do is give a kid with at least an average amount of musical ability a chance to make a living in a very lucrative business because there are different levels of success, going back to what I said before. There are people working at the Holiday Inns and all over this country that have no desire to be Elton John, that are content making three or $400 a week, which is a hell of a lot better than, than going out and beating your brains out, you know, working manual labor and making, you know, two and a quarter an hour or whatever the minimum wage scale is. So... Um, and they derive a great deal of satisfaction out of it. So the book really is designed to help kids in this business at different levels of their career. It tells them hypothetically, not hypothetically, but it tells them specifically at certain times in their career when they need a manager, what to expect from that manager, what that manager should be able to expect from them, how to present themselves as professionals, and how to make the most money. And it even goes into basic philosophies of life as you get along in your career and your life and whether or not you even stay in the music business it goes into that if at such points you're not doing this that or the other when you should consider getting out of the music business and if you do stay and you do make a lot of money how to invest it later there are different attitudes on investing that really come into play at different age groups because if you're 20 years old you can look at a 20-year investment that will mature when you're 40 but if you're 40 years old you can't really look at that same <laughs> investment because then you'll right. be 60 you know and you you really have to look at things differently at different ages. I'm not going to delve deeply into the beginnings, the success, or the subsequent breakup of Kenny Rogers in the first edition because everybody's well aware of the success generated by the group, the notoriety, the hits, the Roland TV show, which was a forerunner, really, in terms of a, of a group show for television. Now it's Kenny Rogers as a successful solo act. You always did feel that someday you'd be a solo act, didn't you? I always felt I would be a solo act, and yet I must tell you, in all fairness, I never really wanted to be. I mean, I think that there was some place that quoted me as saying that, but it was really a, a bad quote because I really – I have always found security in numbers. I've always – all my life I've been raised in vocal groups, and I like the fact to be able to turn around and, and look at the other guys and say, things aren't going very well, are they guys? You know, and when you have no guys you can turn to, it's just <laughs> things aren't going well, are they, Kenny? You know, and I don't like that, but uh, – so – I think I had always really preferred to be in a group, but I must say, in all fairness, that all along I kind of felt like eventually that I would end up on my own because I'm, I'm extremely business-oriented, and I found very few people who were willing to spend money to make money, which is a good business principle. You have to do that. And when you have partners that restrict you somewhat in that area, and I'm not saying that I necessarily was coupled with that problem. I'm just saying that it is a problem that does exist in any group, that it's hard to get four or five people to agree on any one issue. So um, now that I am alone, I must say I thoroughly enjoy the freedom of being able to make my decisions as I see fit, and I will either profit by them or lose by my own decisions. Was the breakup of the first edition something that had to happen sooner or later? Yeah, I think it happens to every every group, every what happened really with our group was uh, there were no real personal problems in the group as much as we had just reached a, a creative stagnancy where people just didn't care. I mean, they enjoyed taking the money and they enjoyed, and this is not derogatory, it's realistic, that we'd been together nine years. We had a great show, one of the best stage shows in the business. and uh, But the problem was that people got to the point, and myself included, I think, I you know, we had tried so many different areas of uh, once you've been successful, it's hard when you're not – we were never at the bottom, but we were definitely had peaked and come down somewhat in stature. 
it's hard to accept that and just say, hey, wasn't it great while we were there? You're always reaching for and and hoping for whatever it, is it takes that will turn that around. And I learned an interesting thing out of this group, and that is that, and then myself included, that people who basically feel they should be successful need someone to blame for their failure in order to continue going. Otherwise, if you say, hey, I had a shot at it and I didn't, it didn't work, then you can't blame anybody. So you say, well, why try again? I might as well go back into carpentry or whatever it is. you know. But when you say, if it hadn't been for him, I would have been a major success. But now that I'm not involved with him, I'll go ahead and I'll do it my way. It gives you a reason to keep going. Whether or not it's justified or not is immaterial. But it was a very important lesson for me you know, that I feel now that I can do what I want to do and totally unhampered by anyone else's decisions. And it's a great freedom. Kenny Rogers in the first edition sure enjoyed a lot of great hits, and the biggest of them was Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town. Ruby is one of the most dynamic songs I've ever heard in my life. And